Welcome to the Grow With It podcast, a podcast about operationalizing your data to grow faster. My name is Michael Sharkey, co-founder and CEO of Auto, and I'm joined by my co-host, Jesus Requina, VP of Growth at Figma. Our goal is that you leave each episode with practical and actionable insights from leading experts in data and growth. Let's get into this week's episode. All right, Jesus, we're finally here. We've been preparing for this for quite a while. Our first podcast. Can you tell listeners what they can expect and what this is about? Yes, I'm excited, Mike. We've been talking a lot about data, you and me, for a long time. And I think things are changing in the industry. I think companies today, they have uh, more preparing from the startup phase or, um, you know, growth phases. They have way more access to data these days, but people are struggling to operationalize that data. I feel like teams and companies have access to some data, but they struggle to get and do something productive with the data to achieve their goals and objectives. So I think this podcast is going to be all around that. How do we, companies are going through that challenges of, I have data, but what am I doing with it? How do I make the most out of it? And how do I become, I think the ultimatum will be become real time. We've seen that in a lot of industries where access to things in real time, I think data is becoming one of those. So I'm super excited about the episodes coming. And today we have Dorian Kendall. Yeah, so can you tell us about Dorian? You know Dorian really well. We obviously have just recorded the episode. Dorian has some fantastic insights, but tell us who Dorian is and what he's about. So I know Dorian because he actually was a former manager. We worked together in a previous company, uh, Unity, and Dorian has an incredible history at uh, Silicon Valley. He worked for most of the biggest companies out there like Twitter, Facebook, Google, and Dorian is an extremely smart leader with quite of an obsession with the user and data to drive decisions that make experience of the user better. So I learned a lot from him and I'm excited about talking to him today because he has led a lot of great teams achieve really brilliant things um, here in San Francisco. All right, let's hear from Dorian. Let's start with the, the real world problem you identify because obviously the whole idea of this podcast is around this idea of operationalizing data and you've lived that problem, you've lived the experience. And yeah, I think it'd be great to hear from your point of view, like how that, that journey started for you. Like, what was the beginning? When did you realize this was a problem? Yeah. So you know, for me, it's been a really interesting journey, getting to the point where I felt that data and marketing have to live together and they have to be reliant upon one, one another. So many years ago and a, a few jobs ago, I was working at a company and the data function and the marketing function were completely separate. Engagements with one another went through JIRA tickets. There wasn't much collaboration in deciding sort of what the initiatives should be and what the objectives should be for those initiatives. And what happened was, you know, we had a situation where we implemented a subscription billing service that also tied into some campaign management um, marketing systems. Because data and our side, the marketing side, were separate, we launched the system and the system itself launched effectively, but there was no data flow. There was no reporting. And we flew blind for weeks, which was really, really dangerous in a company that is you know, SaaS-based, is really worried about retention and engagement of its users. And so skip forward to a company you know, later on, and I'll never forget one of my first days of the company, I had a meeting with one of the people that was onboarding me. And he was the head of kind of data analytics at the time. And we, we sat down and he was like, yeah, I'm gonna, I'll walk you through the data. And he looked at one number, which was really important. It was actually website visitors, it was from Google Analytics. 
And he said, I think this number is probably 30% wrong. And then he showed me another number, which was around sales. And he said, I think this is probably 40% wrong. And there were so many, so many problems that came out of that. So one was, again, for the second time in many years, not many years, actually, here I was, you know, flying blinds, trying to achieve goals for marketing, and then also to work with our sales teams to help them achieve their goals, because, of course, there's that symbiotic relationship. But then also what it did is it caused us to really erroneously forecast what our revenue should be and our volume for the next year. Uh, and, and I walked away from that, and I became the fiercest advocate for having data teams in marketing because really of the implications of what I had seen over the last few years. I think there's a lot to dig into on that. Um, I know Jesus and I talked recently with early stage startup investor who said so many startups will pitch and have this similar problem that you mentioned where you know they either don't have the metrics or they don't even understand the the data and the impact it's having. They're obviously doing really well, but they haven't got a lot of the key metrics that they need to track and um, can optimize with investment organized in such a way where investors can say, hey, this is like, you know, this is really interesting. And, and if we put money in here, we can get to this outcome. Why do you think it is that so many companies struggle with this and then go into this weird world of separating data and, and marketing when really, as you've said in previous conversations when we've chatted before, that it's really the same thing. It's, it's important that these two work in tandem. Yeah, you know, I think it's a great question. I think there's a number of elements that play into this. So one is you typically used to see a data team that was built of data engineers and pipeline engineers and data scientists. And that people have traditionally not thought that that is a marketing function. And I, and I would argue that maybe you know, data engineering and, and to some extent, some level of data science questionable. But when you get into the data science that, that really contributes to operational metrics, it just becomes more and more important that it's part of marketing. But I think in traditional sense, people have just looked at the data team who serves a bunch of different organizations and keeping it separate. And you look at, you know, they you have some the data team serves sales, they serve product, they serve all these different parts of the organization. And so a lot of companies, you know, there used to be this, this organizational approach of keeping these sort of centralized groups, right? And so if you look at like the, the early 2000s, and even, you know, for some companies recently, there was this idea of like, you should have a service team that, that service the entire company and not keep it separate and not embed within certain teams. So I think that that's one piece of this. But I think that the bigger piece is the word data, I think in itself is become very amorphous and has lacks a little bit of meaning when you just say data, like what, what does that actually mean? And so when you go to leadership teams and you talk to them and say, hey, I need data to be part of, of marketing, it, it's hard for them to settle on that. They're saying again, this, why is this not a centralized service? And I think you know, one of the ways that marketers uh, have to adjust their approach to, to really convince leadership that it should sit embedded as part of the team is really trying to decide to determine what are the questions you're trying to answer, right? Getting to that level of specificity and, and presenting that forward. And that really makes a case of why it has to be part of the marketing team because the people that are running the campaigns, the people that are creating some of the collateral, all that the website, the performance of that, the questions you want to answer, you, you need data to be involved. So I think if you're really clear uh, and leadership understands the objectives based on again, questions you're trying to answer, uh, it really helps to make the case to not have a centralized approach. 
So, I, I mean, going back to the, the story you were telling about the metrics are 30% off, like everything, all, all of our assumptions are basically wrong, but this is how we're going to measure the business. How do you come in and then solve that situation or, or optimize around it? Like, what, what do you actually do? Yeah, I think from my perspective, it all starts with guiding principles. I mean, so, so you come into this and, and you have those principles from the start and that drives the beginning of the discussion and the, and the start of the resolution. And so for me, like I have a number of these guiding principles that I always use. So one is data should always be instrumented before anything goes live. That's like absolutely super important that you should have dashboards ready to go, right? So that when you go on day one, whether it's a campaign, whether it's a product, whatever it is, if it's a new web page, having that in place, that being so important. And then the final thing is validating that the data is correct. And I think if you have those three guiding principles and you live by them and you don't let a rush to go live push you and you don't accept that you're not going to actually make sure that those are done before you go live, then I think that, that to me is the way, that's the starting point of solving it. And then of course, going back to what I was saying before, convincing leadership of why this is so important, like why you know it, it will drive results. And then ultimately showing the results, right? I, I believe uh, in the idea of over-communication. You know, I've always said that no, no executive or no peer should ever ask you a question that you haven't answered already. Uh, and so creating data that you actually share and show how performance has been impacted by the insights that you've developed from data. So you're building the case, but again, it all starts on this foundation of those guiding principles. I was going to say, it's really interesting because lately I've worked with many startups and even the companies that we work on. A lot of companies these days, they do have data enough. So, you know, data teams have got a more mature and then can collect data and put it in a central place. But there's two things that you mentioned, Dorian, that are really interesting. One is some marketing leaders, and I'm part of the growth marketing, which is part of marketing, don't truly understand what data they need to measure. So going back into your point and like, hey, be ready with the data. Sometimes the problem is that they might not know what to measure. And then two, I think even if the data is there, sometimes it takes time to operationalize the data. So to your point, have that dashboard ready before I start. Sometimes that becomes painful. So I'm curious about how do you went around those challenges when maybe the situation where you didn't have data, how do you get started? Where, what was it? Yeah. Do you have to wait? Do you have to build it? Do you start it more scrappy? You're, on day one, you're never looking for perfection, right? And so gu guiding principles are themselves guiding. They're not absolute, right? And so the idea that when you start something off, those are the thematic things that should be part of the conversations as you're looking towards launching a new campaign, for example, if you're doing like a big e-commerce campaign or a SaaS you know, adoption campaign or an engagement return prevention campaign, you have to have those principles in place, even if you know, you're not, again, you're not going for perfect on day one, but lying blind is not the answer, right? You don't need to have the most elaborate dashboards. Um, you don't have every, have to have every question that you need to answer displayed in front of you, but you do have to have some of them, right? We had a situation at a company, actually, Jesus, you and I worked at, where we were doing a churn prevention program. And I don't know if you remember this, but we did a whole email campaign and we emailed all these users that we thought had been inactive for 60 days. And I think it was almost half of them came back and said, what are you talking about? I was just in the product over the last week. Uh, if you're going to walk forward and create a churn prevention campaign and you don't have that one piece of data is, you know, are they actually using our product? Why even bother? Right? Why, why even take those steps? 
it comes down to the integrity of the data. I think you mentioned that before, like the data is as good as the integrity of that data. So part of the, I go back to what, what I mentioned before, part of the good understanding of how to use the data is also making sure that the data is accurately set up. I faced so many situations where, to your point, Dorian, we thought that the data was defined correctly, and then you go, there's something off here, and then you have to go to the root, which is, how is this event defined? How is the source from the source? What is the definition of this data point exactly? I had to do most of the time the same thing. And, and I learned over the years, to your point, maybe another guiding principle is, well, don't assume that the data that you are given is correctly defined. I think you have to, as a leader, go through it, right? So, and I think this gets back to what I was saying about sort of you know, knowing the questions you're trying to answer and, and the, the vague meaning of the word data. And so if you, if you go to a data team, a data team that maybe doesn't have a background in marketing or is not really working with you and understanding your objectives, and you just go and say, I need all this data, right? Like I had this situation recently where I said like, hey, we're launching this product. Tell me about what data is actually, what's actually you know, ready to go. Like what actually has been built out that we can use? And they just kind of looked at me. It was, it was a separate data team that was building this out because I didn't have someone yet on my team to do this. They looked at me and said like, oh, here's a whole table of stuff. And it was in, you know, in data engineer speak, which was complex. And so you're looking at that and you're saying like, and what does this even mean? Like the way that you define something, the way that you label something is probably far different than I would because I'm coming from the marketing perspective. And so having those questions, I went back to them. I said, these are the answers. These are the questions we need to answer. What are the component pieces that you would assemble to answer these questions? And that set a good conversation path with them because then they can say, okay, I get it now. Like, you know, I, I'm not going to just show you everything I can trigger. I'm going to show you, you know, by these questions, what's there and what's not there, which is the more important part. And then you partner with them and you work and you, you validate, right? Like from a marketing perspective, we have a, a good idea. Like if we know we expect a return on ad spend from a campaign and it looks wildly off when we get that first set of data, we're going to, we're going to investigate it. Right. And so you know, having that understanding of what the business, the marketing part of the business is trying to achieve, I think is so key. But those questions that you define, that that really is the starting point to getting to where you need to be down the road of having really kind of good, uh, comprehensive data. Yeah, it's funny. As we talk about this, it makes me think there's a lot of parallels in you know what I see day to day with companies implementing marketing journeys or trying to unify data to be able to things like that where you, you're not embarrassing yourself saying hey you haven't logged in in a period of time and it's still it, it does amaze me how many people have very inaccurate data sources to begin with but the the thing that i see or the paralysis of in the execution piece here is that idea of like something you mentioned earlier which is things have got to be perfect and i think you do and i think as you said this as well like data you throw this word around and it, it can sound big and scary but more often than not, it's, you know, experts in my experience are really good at explaining the practicality of like how they can do things. There's no, you know, it's not this pie in the, pie in the sky idea of like, oh, let's, let's use data. And the most successful people I see are, are ones that, you know, focus on a single metric. Maybe it's like just as simple as like, when did we last see this user from session data? And then send, you know, one automated email based on that and then build from that base. Whereas I think a lot of people get into that confusion of having all these numbers, all this data, not knowing what's accurate, not knowing what's not. And then they try and solve all these problems on, on day one. 
is that the approach you take in, you know, you've obviously worked for, for brands with huge amounts of data. Is that the same problem and then approach that you take to solving those problems? Or, or do you think that, you know, is it a little different? Yeah. So many years ago, I won't, I won't age myself, um, but it was many years ago, <clears throat> there was this concept called the balanced scorecard. I don't know if you guys ever heard of it. And it, it basically was this approach and that you would create a whole host of metrics. And in many cases, I, I, I did this at a, a major search engine company that I worked for, where you actually went in and created the framework for a balanced scorecard. And your responsibility was making sure it was always filled in. That failed constantly. And the reason why was because, to your point, there was so much you were going after. The ability to validate in an effective way was very complicated. But it sort of put forward this idea that there was a collection of metrics you had to answer on day one. Skip forward to, again, when Jesus and I were working together um, at Unity, and we were, you know, when my team was tasked with fixing retention, fixing activation, we took a different approach. And we hired an amazing data guy. And what we said was, let's, what's the metric that defines success for the first 30 minutes of someone's engagement with our project, our product? And we did that. And then we said, okay, what is it for the first day? What should they be doing? And slowly over time, this little, you know, big query built webpage started with, you know, one metric and we kept adding and adding. And lo and behold, a year later, we had fully segmented our audience. We knew from people coming in for onboarding, what the chances are were of retention. We saw retention rise dramatically, but this entire thing literally started with a metric. That was it. So to your point, it is, when you say the word data, when you say, oh, we have to have data on all this stuff, it's daunting. And the chances, I think, for success out of the gate are a lot lower if you have a ton of stuff that you're going after. But to your point, if you start, if you just say, what's the first most critical metric? Define that, right? And then keep building and building. This is, these are living, I always refer to these as like living, breathing things, right? That your data platform, it's not a day one thing. It is, as marketers, we're always learning what's more effective in our campaigns. We're seeing how people engage with emails that we send, click-through rates, open rates. We see how that translates into sales. Those things change over time. So why shouldn't the data platform also follow? I think I I was going to ask something about, you and I talked, uh, Dorian, before about that, um, starting small and Maybe it's, it's with one metric and then building up, but you mentioned about the knowledge is wisdom, right? So having that operational data, it gives you that knowledge to then build on your experiments and then learn something else and then build on other metrics and then build something else. So it's almost like you got the data and insight, but now what? I, I'm interested in to how do you, how is that journey? How do you go building on that to get into a point where you might have a full program running or not? Because I think the audience might be interested in too, well, I'm in very early stages, or maybe my metrics are not really well defined, but how do I, you already gave us a starting point, how do I go from there? Yeah, so, you know, there's sort of a framework. Um, I I will not take credit for writing this. I actually don't remember where I read it. (laughs) So I take no credit for this, but it is something that, uh, I really think is poignant when you look at data and how it can drive better marketing programs and better performance. And so it's it's a four-word uh, chain, which is data, insights, knowledge, wisdom, which is what you were, I think, alluding to, Jesus. And so the idea we can take one metric, for example, getting the data in place, you know, understand the, the accurate, you know, accurate data that you can look at, 
which you can then build insights off of, right? And so you might start off with data engineering and pipelines and then a data analyst who is looking at this and saying, hey, this is really interesting. Like this is, here's some insights. And then looking at those and saying, okay, well, what is this actually telling me, right? So the data points are there. There's insights because things are surfacing that seem that they might be interesting to look at. They seem like, hey, this might be something worth thinking about, which then builds you to knowledge where you're sitting there and saying, okay, I know what's going on here, right? I know my return on ad spend for my campaign for this campaign on Facebook is far more effective than it is, you know, on say Reddit or LinkedIn or whatever the other platform is. And so you're getting that level of knowledge, which then drives you to the ultimate point, which is wisdom, which is as I now move forward and I design future campaigns, let me learn from the data, the insights and the knowledge to create a wise approach to the next thing that we do. And then you start over again and you go through that pathway. And I think if you have those four in place and you follow that, you really get to a point where, you know, as you're building in future programs, if you're looking at how do you position things and make them effectively, you know, people effectively aware of them, how do you retain people? That wisdom, you have to go through that process to get there, or you don't have to, you should, you definitely should. And it's almost like it's a loop. So once you get into the wisdom and execute something, you might find a new metric, you might build it again, and start with that loop again. Yeah, it's almost like, a, I'll use my fingers. This will be very helpful for people who are just listening to this, but it is, you know, a loop that then creates a new loop, that creates a new loop, right? Because once you get to that level of wisdom, you're now saying, okay, well, how do I take that one wheel and create the next wheel and the next one? How do you structure a team for this? Because it, it doesn't like, to me, it just doesn't sound like a typical marketing organization that you, you see generally across the board. Like, what are the roles in a team like this? Who do you hire? Like, how do you structure it? How do you manage to this kind of, you know, recurring loop or like, I don't know if you call it sprint. I know there's all these different methodologies in marketing of how to manage, but I mean, just breaking it down into the core elements, like how do you do this? Yeah, so I think it's, it's, you know, it's different in different places. I mean, the, you know, one of the reference points that I would use for this is growth, right? If you think, you know, years and years ago, not so long ago, there wasn't even a concept of a growth team or a growth organization. And I think if you had asked me 10 years ago, would I ever think that product designers would sit in a pod with a growth person? I'd be like, you're crazy, right? And so I do think we, we can't reflect on what exists today to fully guide the decisions of the future and how we organize. I have found from my own experience that when creating a marketing org, having at least a data analyst as part of that team is just critical, right? So. We look at the data part, it might be a partnership with engineering. It probably is. You know, in a lot of organizations, I wouldn't necessarily expect a data engineer to be a part of a marketing team. Data scientists, depending on what the data is that you're looking at, right? Depending on the size of the company, the industry that you're in, maybe a data scientist makes sense. But the most important is having a data analyst that sits within the marketing org because not only do they provide the insights through the data that they're getting, probably through partnership, again, through an engineering team, but they have a knowledge of the business. And that to me is just, it's so key. And it, and it really can't be underestimated how important that is. And then in terms of managing towards these goals, is it a case of just focusing everyone on a single goal at a time and, and working towards that goal? Or like, how do you manage that team once you have it in place? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it really, you know, there, there's different levels of, of goals, right? And so you might have the bigger objectives that you might have multiple, but then it even gets down to the initiative, 
Right, so we did a number of, of really big campaigns, uh, Jesus and I, in both the B2B demand gen world, but then also in our almost called B2C or you know, prosumer subscription world. And when we would create a campaign, the starting point was the one question of what does success look like? What is, what is the definition of success here? And that was the starting point for, as a team, aligning on what the data was that we were looking for. And if it was adoption of the product, and that was the big one, then that would be what we would go with. But there would be sometimes that we would have multiple, right? So our return on ad spend, open rates for email. So within the marketing organization, there were different you know, groups, I would say groups, but members of the team that were focused on different things. And they each came to the table with their definition of what success looked like. And it could be, again, each of them could come with one thing or with multiple, but again, it set the framework. So it can be at the higher level, which is with our onboarding program of increasing retention by day 30, that was a huge one. That's a macro thing because there's so many component pieces that go into that. But then at the lower levels, the number of, of users that were actually engaging with our tutorials that we thought would drive success. Right? And so I think it, it, it can happen at different levels and it can happen at different volume. That's really interesting. In fact, I've seen companies mature at a metric level, but they're not equally mature at understanding what leading indicators or leading metrics will ladder into the, let's call it that one metric that Mike was referring to. Not only that, so to your point, that's the success of some, some of those sub teams or individual team members into one core metric is the next mature phase is having uh, or being able to forecast the impact of some of those. So if I do X, what I'm expecting of impact that metric, I think that Part of the operationalizing the data is really important that you not only think about how to measure, but you also think about sizing experiments or sizing impact, because at some point you might want to start thinking what, what I'm going to do, how is that going to impact the metric? So to your point, Dorian, when you, I, I do extremely recommend when you build your, I think your guiding principles about how we measure these, I think it's also yeah. like how we're going to size it too. It does probably a phase two in maturity, but I've seen it a lot in companies that I go and work with, which we might have the metric, but we don't have the leading indicators or the correct sizing to understand the impact of what we do. And that becomes critical. And, and this, is, this is where I go back to data, insights, knowledge, wisdom, right? And so you know, that starting point where you build in, you say, okay, I, I want to see, like, this is the use case I want to try. This is a success criteria. I want to see if it influences this other metric, right? Is there correlations or causation? But that whole pathway of, you know, getting to the point of wisdom, that's when you can drive to be like, hey, we believe based on this that there is a leading indicator here that says if we do X, Y will happen, and that's important. And then you start experiments, right? So it is this interesting sort of flywheel that happens. And it's what's interesting to me also is a lot of companies talk now about building growth teams, right? I mean, one of the most you know, popular titles now in marketing is like VP of growth, like director of growth, right? Growth, the word is everywhere. It's become very very overused in my perspective, but you can't have growth if you can't, if you don't have data, right? If you're trying to experiment and you have no idea what you're looking for and you're not drawing the wisdom of what you're seeing, then how do you effectively grow under that function? So I'm curious, like, obviously at the once you've got a lot of data and then you've figured out how to track it and then it's a case of like, okay, let's pick a goal and go and take action on it. I think that makes a ton of sense for a company with a, a large amount of data. But what if I'm listening today, I'm just starting out, you know, I've 
got my first thousand signups to my SaaS product and I'm listening going, how does this apply to me? If you could start again, like if you were starting out tomorrow in that situation, Dorian, like what would the advice you would give to a, a founder starting out of like, or, or a VP of growth, let's call yeah, it yeah. at a startup. <laughs> like what, what would you yeah. tell them? Like if you were giving advice or wisdom to them of like, what are the, what are the key things that you would do? Yeah. You know, my own philosophy is really focus, focus, focus. Um, you know, the, the analogy I'd use is you know, it, when we look at products like market sizing, a lot of companies, and I think a lot of the, you know, the ones who make mistakes are the ones that look and say, look, everybody can be a customer of ours. Anybody. So let's go after everybody. I look at the same way with data. And I think as a starting point, as a founder, there's three things that I would ask myself. Is acquisition most important? Is engagement most important? Is retention most important? And to start there and say, okay, we know if, if there's not much in the way of resources in the team, if there's not a ton of, of you know, there's not a huge data lake that you can pull from, as a, as a founder, you might say, hey, listen, I'm early on. Acquisition is super important. And so I'm going to focus on acquisition knowing that, yes, we'll have to pay attention to those other areas. But from a data standpoint, the most critical thing for me is I get new users, right? So the, the functions that deal with engaging users and retaining them, that can exist without a huge you know, array of data. If you're starting and saying, I have limited resources, but for my company's success and for its health, say acquisition is the most important, you start there. And then you, again, you build and you build and you build. Yeah, it's an it's an interesting point. I think you always, I, yeah, I do. I think people really overcomplicate this stuff when it like a lot of it is just you know breaking it down to its core elements. I know for us, we had a problem of not necessarily getting new users to sign up, but we thought we were geniuses and and we knew with our key metrics that we were tracking, there were certain indicators in the application. Obviously, connecting customer data or adding the tracking code to their website were just leading indicators that would quadruple our conversion rate from trial to pay. So, so we thought, well, let's hack it. Like, let's cheat here and just force them to do those things before they even get into the product so that we, you know, our conversion rate goes through the roof. And look, we built this great experience in terms of onboarding on that, like, let's call it data, but also just a gut instinct of maybe how we can like cheat, like change the rules of the game kind of thing. And what, what ended up happening is we actually started to kill our acquisition engine because instead of people coming in and playing around with the product and falling in love with it and then adding their data in, we were yeah. trying to get them to do it up front. It was sort of like going on a date and trying to take someone home immediately in the first like 10 minutes. Of, it's probably a bad analogy. I'll, I'll get in trouble for that. Um, but, but yeah, like that's what it felt like. Like, you know, you were trying to immediately take someone home before they got to know you. And so, yeah, we learned a lot from that. But immediately those metrics started dropping. So I think you're right in the sense of like, if they're just looking at acquisition and, and user signups with your loop analogy, it's like, okay, go go get that working first and then move on to the next thing, which might be for us, it was like adding the tracking code or, or adding users to the, the product. But But yeah, I like that idea of like cycling cycling through it. I was just going to build on that for a second because we, you know, at, at Unity, acquisition was not a problem for us, right? Our acquisition, you know, people play Unity's games. Pokemon Go was a huge driver of I have downloads of our free products. And so when we looked and said, well, what's the most important thing for us in this part of the business? It was retention. Well, actually it was activation first and then it became retention. And so we were like, let's not even look at acquisition. Let's just ignore that from a data-focused standpoint, from a building of a data platform, from the building of dashboards. Like, we're fine there. 
That's not what we're trying. That's not the question we're trying to answer. Our first question was, why are activations so low as a percentage of the people that are downloading? And that's where we started. And once we answered that question and we changed our product based on that answer, we then said, well, now the most important thing is again, day seven retention. So we asked the question, well, what are the leading indicators that would tell us that someone will retain or someone that will fall off? So it, it was a progression through the major questions we were asking based on two things. One, their importance to us and also our lack of resources. Because for companies that are big, you know, we were kind of like a startup within, within the company. We had one data person, very similar to a lot of organizations that are starting out or very young. So it wasn't like we were walking in. We didn't have like 30 data people. I had literally one. <laughs> And so it was so critical for us to, again, figure out what was the most important question we needed to answer and then progress and progress. Yeah, I think it's, it's funny you say you only have one because I think there's this assumption outside of the big walls of some of these like top performing Silicon Valley businesses that like they've got like it all figured out. They've got like 100 data people and some wizard that literally wears a wizard hat going around telling everyone what to do. Like I think that, you know, outside looking in, I think that's what a lot of people think. But you just see really a scaled up version of the same problems you see in, in smaller companies. On the, the comment you made earlier about like gut instinct versus data, how much, like what weighting does gut instinct still play in a lot of this stuff in terms of just like the thesis going into this? Like you talked about the, the activation, like how much of it was saying, well, you know, we think, we think they do this um, versus, you know, just purely analyzing data and letting that speak for you. Yeah. So, so the one thing, just to be really clear, is I, I don't think data platforms should not replace uh, experience and expertise, right? And so that's just something to be very clear. Like, there, there's a danger if you go on any side of the spectrum, right? And so I actually put together a slide for a company I worked for that showed footprints. I was like, here is where we are now. Hunches and assumptions, 100%. Here's where we need to go. Hunches and assumptions plus validation equals 100%. And so we never want to delegitimize or in any way reduce the value of people's experience and expertise, because when you get to that level of wisdom, it really is reliant upon your reference points, the experience you have. What I'm saying is that the data should put you into the place where building on your expertise, where it actually helps guide your decisions and validate or disprove what your hunches and assumptions are or what your gut instinct is. Because we can also fall prey to being so in love with our ideas and so convinced that they're correct that we can ignore the indicators that tell us that maybe we're wrong or we're not as right as we think we are. So it, it has to be that balance. It can't be on either side of the spectrum to the extreme. So I think playing that out further in terms of, you also talked a lot about that retention work that you did and like earlier sending you know, sending it in an email. And this is something I see quite a lot with customers is that they often go and like implement something like Intercom and then it tells them when a customer's last seen. In fact, a, a product we use all the time did it to me the other day. He said, oh, you know, it looks like you're no longer using the product. And I, I, I pride myself in being one of the biggest power users of that product. So I was like <laughs> grossly offended by this. But, but like in these programs, when you talked about coming in and you, you had no data integrity, how do you get it back? And like, is it okay sometimes to screw up? Like I know I, you know, intervene. I, I think our own marketing team probably wants to murder me, but because I like using <laughs> home product, often I'll be like, oh, I'm going to just send an email to customers. And <laughs> I won't even <laughs> proofread it. And then it turns out I, you know, I've spelled it terribly wrong. But like how, I, I guess 
how do you go in and look at those integrity issues and sort of think that through? Or, or do you not need to be that perfect? Is it better to just do stuff? Yeah. So for, for me, it always becomes about magnitude. But like, what, what is the magnitude? Uh, we used to do this test. I used to call it the, uh, the Twitter tests. So if we did something wrong and somebody posted it on Twitter, what would the backlash look like? What's the magnitude there? How hard would it be for us to salvage, to lean in, you know, and I believe a lot in that, lean into the mistakes we've made or, if, you know, if something's not proofread. I mean, that's one thing, but doing something that is actually, you know, you know, know renewing someone when they didn't want to be renewed. I mean, that's a pretty grave thing. So I think there, there is magnitude. And so, you know, you don't want to be careless, right? You don't want to accept mistakes as being the norm. But as you look at how you prevent them and you look at driving initiatives and taking some risks, you just need to have about you know an evaluation of what the magnitude would be if things went really south. Yeah, I think that's it, right? Like, I feel like we all have these war stories. <laughs> like, you know, like you just like you obviously learn through making a lot of mistakes. I certainly have in my career, and yeah, I, I think that like reflecting on maybe what what Twitter would say is is definitely an interesting concept. But I also sometimes think just like just getting things done and having an impact. Like most of the problems I see with a lot of businesses is they do, they get to like almost data gridlock where they're like literally too scared to send an email for fear of failure because they're slightly worried about some in integrity piece of the data. But what, what I found works really well is just connecting the sources of truth um, instead of relying on some interpretation of that truth. So I, like one trend I've noticed over the years is a lot of people went out and built out segment and they put everything in that from like, their, you know, subscription event data to, you know, literally everything. I mean, a lot of people use it to just pass data between systems, which is not really what it's designed to do. And then a lot of the people take that segment as gospel, use that data. And, you know, a lot of times it's it's wrong because th there's a lot of examples I've seen in SaaS where like, you know, someone, some salesperson provisions a trial for someone for an enterprise customer and then that automatically say closes and then Recurly fires the event a segment saying that you've got a new customer and then yeah. a new customer email goes out and it creates a shit storm. And then later a new marketer comes in and imports that data and says, okay, well this event happened at this time and that's 100% verbatim. And so the, the integrity of the data over time just gets like more and more trash. So one thing I have found in that that works really well is just connecting to the true source. Like, a billing platform never really lies. Well, not all the time. And trying to like go back to those sort of like ground up basics, especially in SaaS, which is like, you know, if I'm unsure, like just go back to those core sources of truth. You know, don't be afraid to make mistakes. And even like just be honest in emails and say like, hey, like PS, if if this is wrong, let us know. Like we're, we're trying this out kind of thing. I think people are pretty forgiving. I, I would agree. I mean, there's there's some people that are not forgiven, um, but you'll never get you'll never get rid of those people. But I, I think you know, never underestimate the power of a human. And so you know, looking at the data, validating the data, seeing does this make sense? If it's in a sales organization and you know it's enterprise customers, giving an output of who the enterprise customers are to the enterprise sales team and saying, hey, does does this look right to you? Like if you can validate it, right? Again, ne never underestimate the value of a human stepping in. I think that the idea is that the data, again, has a symbiotic relationship with the people that are leading the business, the people that are operating the business, and is informing them and helping them validate what is what is correct, what is truth. I personally am not of a person of the mindset that you should just rely on what's coming out of a system 
and take it as gospel. I just don't agree with that. Uh, and so, again, the idea here is this is a symbiotic relationship. This isn't an independent approach. I also seen the opposite example where companies have tons of data, actually actionable data, and teams get into analysis paralysis of the data. So they're trying to solve an answer and they look into data in so many angles that it's really hard to understand. And the reality is that you you just need to validate some of the assumption of what is happening to then make an assumption of what you're going to do next and then work on it. So I feel like a lot of companies suffer from the analysis paralysis, but they do less on the actual action plan. So almost like I index 80% on analysis paralysis, but I only put in 20% in the doing. What I do think the doing is way more important. So I think 80% of the effort should be, I think we, we know enough to know that this is the key thing that we have to move. And then just spend 80% of your time on a plan. So to Mike's point, iterate, be scrappy, like start doing things to see if that one metric that you want to move, start moving. Yeah. And I'll just say on that, I think it's a really great point. I mean, to me, this gets down to leadership. <laughs> and so somebody has to make the decision at some point and get the team to align to that decision. Part of leadership, if we sort of take that sort of lens of this, is saying, hey, this is what we're going to try. And it's okay if this doesn't work, right? The, the data paralysis, in my mind, often happens because there's not a forgiveness, because people don't feel like unless they do it exactly right, they're going to get in trouble. And so as a leader, if you actually create the environment where people know, so long as you're not doing something egregious, but as long as you're, if you're making decisions and you're trying things, that there is a safety around that, that there is, you know, you have their back. That's a huge, huge thing. And again, in organizations where I see the process, it's where that doesn't exist, where people feel, again, like they don't have the supportive leadership to actually push through the data and make actionable decisions. Yeah, I think, I think that should be a guiding principle, like yeah. you mentioned. We're, build, we're building here. We're, we're building yeah, here. exactly. We're building on, we have six already. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the one thing I would say on that, though, is like, I think, like you do make a really good point. I have seen so many companies like, with hordes of data, so scared to act on it. And we we ran a couple of years ago some data modeling, obviously because we have so much data ourselves from, from customers. When we analyzed it, it's so interesting. Like we found with, especially in B2B SaaS or what everyone now likes to call PLG, but really that same category of companies, it was literally just the companies that were sending three, so two to three times more emails than the other similar businesses were attributing twice as much revenue. So it was literally just like send more personalized emails, make double as much money. And, and that that sounds so basic. And, and when we looked at that, it's like, oh, that's kind of way too simple to be true. But when we dug into it, it is true. And I think that's to the point. It's like, if you're sitting out there today being like, oh, I am sitting on this data, I'm a bit worried about it. And like, we're only sending like two onboarding emails or or two retention emails. It's like just sending more frequently to your customers content that's valuable and highly targeted, it has an enormous impact. But Dorian, to really wrap it up today, it's been phenomenal chatting to you. I'm curious on like, you, you talked about a lot about data, data teams and marketing teams and the, the separation of them and how you really need to bring them together. What do you think the future of organizations look like? And what's the future of, of data and, and marketing working side by side and, and the tools we use and also like how we work as teams? Yeah, I mean, I, I think um, there, there's sort of a number of things that are working in the favor of that happening. Um, so one is that I think because we have so much more data, I mean, if you look back to 15, 20 years ago, I mean, the amount of data we have now is so much more exponentially larger. 
And, and just because of that, a couple of things happen. One is it builds demand for more solutions out there. You know, you guys are one of them for data insights. And so there's more solutions that come to market that are addressing the mid-market, the small business, right? I think that's going to be a big change in technology because before it really was only, you know, a push to get the big enterprise customers. It was Oracle, it was SAP, those kind of guys. So you're seeing a really prolific growth in solutions on the data and data insight side that address smaller businesses. So I think that's a really encouraging thing as companies are starting to grow as they're, you know, as they're getting going, as they're changing their business and trying to get great insights. So that demand piece, I think, really works to the favor of companies across the spectrum. And I think the other part of it is, I think, you know, because of that data, we're, we're seeing the impact that we can have by really looking at the data. And when we look at marketing campaigns, we look at what's available and evaluating sort of their success and the direct correlation to revenue, I think we're, we're able to make better cases. And that will just continue to improve and improve over time. And that helps start the conversation and push it forward. And I think like we'll see, like we saw with growth organizations, uh, like we saw with a lot of marketing organizations, more and more you're going to see data being either embedded or part of the marketing teams because of those two things. Um, well, thanks so much for your time, Dorian. It was great to speak to you. Some amazing insights. And um, hopefully you'll come back and join us again soon. Absolutely. Thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it.